Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if at all possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In today's episode, you'll see how the power of God comes from our surrender and not our strength. Today's guest speaker will show you this through Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Today's message is the power of surrender. Here's guest speaker, Brian Jones. Well, good morning, Brookwood. It is a joy to be with you. Um, I, uh, I just have to say, although you don't know me, I feel like I know you from kind of afar. As Perry mentioned, my wife uh, had several years in this church and uh, my father-in-law was a key volunteer here. And then I kept hearing all these rumors of how awesome these Brookwood people were. And then I got to meet the great David Hardy uh, probably 10, 11 years ago. I actually came to a service probably eight years ago or so, uh, sat in a room, uh, this room right here, and then went and uh, got to spend time with David and his sweet wife. And uh, I just have to say, you probably know this, but the church that you have here, uh, the leaders, the staff, uh, they're absolutely amazing. And uh, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, Perry, you'll hear news and stories constantly. You, you'll hear stories of a pastor who's fallen. You'll hear stories of moral failure. It will be the front line of some news report, most likely in the next month. But uh, I was just thinking as I was driving here, uh, what you won't hear that's front line of news in the world, but I believe is front line in the news of heaven, is 29 years of faithfulness and transformation that Perry has led with. And so um, it's just a gift. Uh, I've got to spend some time with Perry uh, just uh, throughout the last couple months, and I just say he has been a tremendous blessing to me, and uh, it's just been a joy. Now, Perry mentioned uh, we have three kids. I'll be that obnoxious preacher that shows you a photo of my family. I'm sorry. But uh, here is a picture of my sweet family. Uh, right there on the left, we have twin girls. They are three years old. That's Selah. She's our wild child. Uh, that is Gray right there in the middle. Uh, my wife and I are actually high school sweethearts, and then that is Tristan, our creative uh, eight-year-old son. Now, I was saying this uh, to the last group. You know, Tristan lost one of his front teeth the other day, and he actually put uh, his tooth underneath the pillow. And uh, he came downstairs the next morning, and he just holds up this money, and he goes, Mom, Dad, he said, the tooth fairy's gotten cheap. <laughs> and I said, well, what were you expecting? He goes, no joke, my eight-year-old boy goes, a hundred dollars. So pray for us as we seek to raise him in the ways of Jesus and not consumerism. Uh, but I know I am a guest preacher, but I really do feel like God placed something on my heart that I wanted to share with you, a message that has been stirring in me, and I trust that God will use it to uh, speak to us this morning. But one thing that the Holy Spirit has been convicting me on is how sometimes I approach his word, how I approach the Bible. Because sometimes if I'm not careful, I don't know about you, I will read the Bible like it is ancient history or past history and not present reality, not present possibility. But it's interesting, when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, he teaches them to pray like this in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning that God's great desire is not for us as Christians to say a prayer and then one day wait to go be with Jesus. What he's trying to teach the disciples and what he's trying to teach the church now is that we should live in such a way that we literally bring heaven to this earth, that we bring the power of Jesus to this earth through our lives. Through the church. 
And if that happens, what that means is we will be in churches and communities that are filled in such a way with the power of God. We don't read about ancient history, but we read today stories of marriages that are restored and lost people getting found and broken people becoming whole and people experiencing physical healing and people experiencing what it's like to be filled up with the Holy Spirit in such a way that you go, you know what? I do not believe the word of God is just past history or ancient reality, but it is present possibility for us. And the one thing the Holy Spirit has convicted me is sometimes I fear what I call radical, the Bible calls normal. And in essence, what Jesus is looking for is people to access the power of God. I've never met any Christian who goes, you know what, I think I'm pretty good on the power thing. I feel like I've got all of Jesus. Everybody who would call themselves a follower of Jesus would go, I really wish I had more power. I had more faith, more peace, more of the presence of God. So the real question is, how do you access this power? How do you access the power of God in such a way that you can join God in the renewal of all things? You can join God in bringing the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Now, I got some bad news. The ways of the kingdom of God are different in the power dynamics of the kingdom of this world. Because in this world, the way that you get power, the way you get strength is you keep pushing. You strive, you have ambition, you become bigger, stronger, faster, you never give up. You, you keep this endurance in a way that you just keep running, but with the ways of Jesus, it is almost like an upside down kingdom. He says odd phrases like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so if I could put today's message in one sentence, here it is. The power of God comes from our surrender, not our strength. And so in essence, the power of God comes from our surrender, not from our strength. And I can think of no better story to illustrate this idea of power and surrender than that of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So in Matthew chapter 26, you just see this incredible story. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll be in Matthew 26. If not, it will be on the screen behind me. Uh, no worries. But let me just read this story about power and surrender from Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. This is what it says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away one more time and prayed, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, about a year ago, I had the great privilege of going to Africa. We spent a few days in Nairobi on a mission trip. And then the, the last few days, we actually went to this area called the Masamara. 
It's one of the most beautiful areas on planet Earth. In fact, if you've ever seen National Geographic, this is where they have some of those amazing animal migrations. And so we were there for a few days and we decided we were gonna do a night safari which is great, but then I noticed some of the guys, uh, they were getting suited up and they were taking their weapons, so I started to wonder what we're getting into. And so we, we make our way into the Masamar and we are in this Jeep that, that is not closed, it is an open top Jeep, meaning animals can jump into this Jeep. And so literally we're driving out to the Masamara. we come up across this pride, this pack of lions, and everyone thinks this is awesome in the bus or in the Jeep, but me. And so literally we were out there and these animals, they are massive. They start circling the Jeep. In fact, just so you don't think I'm making this, let me just show you a video of how close these lions are to this Jeep. Isn't that awful? <laughs> literally, this Jeep is open. And so everyone's going, this is awesome. I'm the one on the edge right there. And these animals just start circling the Jeep. And I'm just going, hey, is anyone else concerned that the circle of life is now circling our life? I mean, it's just terrifying. <laughs> and no joke, the guy, I'm on the edge. The guy in the middle is like, you have the best seat in the house. <laughs> and I'm like, well, in the spirit of service, I'd love to switch with you, you know? <laughs> and so we switch and he thinks I'm doing him this great favor. And he goes, Brian, you're the best. And I just go, WWJD, what would Jesus do, you know? <laughs> And my whole mindset was, I just had a 75% increased chance of not getting eat, eaten first. I mean, really, that's it. And so we're, we're on this Jeep, and then you can't make this stuff up. The Jeep dies. <laughs> the middle of this Africa area, the Jeep dies, and the driver goes, you know what, I'm going to have to go fix the engine. And I said, you're going to go out there? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, will the, will the lions attack you? And no joke, just calm a man's man, he goes, maybe. <laughs> and then I said, well, what if they attack you? And no joke, with a boldness that I cannot, I mean, it's just seared in my mind. He goes, Brian, if it's my time, it's my time. And in the least masculine way, I look at him and I say, well, I'm gonna be praying for you in this Jeep. <laughs> And so literally he goes out there, the Jeep gets fixed, everything's great, but I just cannot get that picture out of my mind of some people in life, whenever they face a trial or a crisis, and you know those people, it's like they can almost face death in the eye and they have this boldness, they have this strength, they have this passion. In fact, all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, you have Christians who are martyred and many of them die with a confidence and a poise. In fact, I was thinking about the girl from Columbine, remember one of the first school shootings. And the shooters knew she was a Christian. And so they looked at her with guns and they basically said, do you still believe in Jesus? And she said, yes, and she was killed. But in the face of death, she was defiant. I was thinking about uh, one of the, the great fathers of the faith, a man named Polycarp, who, who in essence was martyred for his faith. And he's brought out and he's about to be burned alive at the stake. And they say, do you have any final words? And I'm paraphrasing what he says, but in essence, what he says is, I'm not afraid of these fires that burn for a moment, but you, you should be afraid of the fires of hell. And you just see people all throughout life, Christians who've had a boldness and a tenacity. And the reason I tell you this is when you look at this story, all throughout Jesus' ministry in his life, he has had this boldness. In fact, in Luke chapter nine, he is told that if he moves forward and he goes to Jerusalem, he's gonna be killed. The Bible says that does not phase him. He sets his face like flint to Jerusalem. And yet here you have a Jesus that is really quite uncharacteristic. 
And dare I say, I know it sounds like heresy, but if you read this for the first time and didn't know much about Jesus, you would go, honestly, reading this, Jesus looks a little bit weak, vulnerable, and afraid. So what happened? Why was most of Jesus' ministry characterized by this boldness and this passion, and then all of a sudden, it's almost like in the ninth hour, something shifts. What happened to Jesus? In verse 37, this is what the Bible says. It says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them. And notice this, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, it's interesting, that phrase, he began to be sorrowful. Uh, that phrase in Greek uh, actually reads like this, he began to be astonished. And so, in essence, what the Bible is saying is something happened all at once with Jesus. In verse 36, Jesus is doing great, all is well. But then the Bible says suddenly in verse 37, he becomes astonished all at once. In fact, that word there in 37, troubled, means this in Greek. It means to be overcome with shocking horror. And so in essence, you have Jesus all at once, he becomes astonished with shocking horror. Now, this is not like a figure of speech. This is not someone being dramatic. Little children are dramatic. Like my, my son the other day, he got a splinter in his finger and with tears in his eyes, he asked me, dad, am I gonna die? <laughs> Little kids are dramatic. Jesus is not being dramatic. This is not a figure of speech. What he experiences in this moment in Matthew 26 almost took his life. In fact, listen to what it says in verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I love what Luke's version says about Jesus' encounter. It says this, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, some commentators, when you look at this passage and they talk about uh, drops of blood falling from Jesus' face, some will say that it's more of like a, a figure of speech, if you will. That Jesus was just so stressed and he was so overwhelmed. It's almost like if you have a cut on your arm, it's like a gushing wound. They just say basically Jesus was under so much pressure that he began to emit sweat from his pores, sweat from his body like it was an open wound. But other commentators believe that Jesus was actually experiencing such a psychological intense moment that literally blood begins to emit from his pores. In fact, there's actually a term in the medical community called hematidrosis, and it is the idea that you can experience such intense physiological changes in your body by literally experiencing psychological trauma or stress. Now, it's very rare, but it is possible to experience so much stress that the tiny capillaries in your sweat glands can actually burst. And what happens is in that moment, that, that sweat and that blood from those glands, they actually start to admit through your pores. So you are literally sweating blood in that moment. Now, about a year and a half ago or a year ago or so, uh, our family went to Disney World. We took our uh, daughters, we took our son. And uh, when we got to the area that we were staying in the house, uh, there was a pool there. And so I, I took my sweet daughters out to this pool because that was the first thing they wanted to see. And I mentioned Selah is the wild child in our family. And so I made one mistake in that whole process. Usually I, I never let go of her hand because she's always getting into something. So for about 20 seconds, I released Selah's hand. We are fully dressed, fully clothed. We had just gotten off the airplane, just gotten into our, uh, our house. And when I let go of my sweet daughter's hand without a moment's hesitation, 
she jumps straight into the deep end of this pool. And she doesn't go like float or do anything like that. She doesn't paddle. She just sinks like a rock to the bottom. And so in that moment, I have no choice. I'm not gonna be like, well, she learned her lesson. You know, I've got to jump in after. So, I mean, I'm fully clothed. I jump in, I start yelling at her underwater and then I get to her and I grab her hand, mostly in anger, but with a little bit of compassion. And then we surface. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been there as a parent, you know it's about to go down. And so I'm about to give my daughter a piece of my mind. But I saw a look of horror I've never seen. I saw a look of terror I have never seen in my daughter. And so suddenly it was like my heart melted and there was this compassion because she was overcome with shocking horror. The reason I tell you this story is there was a mother that I heard about recently who was not so lucky. She actually walked out to her pool in the backyard and she saw her little boy in the bottom of this particular pool. And she jumped in and she, she rescued her boy. She called 911. By the grace of God, they got him resuscitated and a week later he was better. But when the dad got that terrible phone call of what had happened to his son, he actually went to the hospital and when he noticed his son, what he noticed was is that there were these little tiny red dots all over his face. And he asked the doctor, he said, what is that? And what the doctor said was that literally as his little boy was under the water, he was crying out most likely for his mom or his dad with such intensity that the capillaries in his face burst. And that's what they are seeing right there. The Bible says this, that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus who spoke the world into existence with mere words, Jesus who stood at the bow of a boat and told the rogue waves to obey and they did, Jesus who cast out legions of demons and darkness with boldness and defiance, Jesus who walked into a grave and said, take off your grave clothes and that night that man experienced physical life is the same Jesus we see in such agony pleading with his father, the very capillaries in his face are bursting. Can I just encourage you with this? It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church, doesn't matter if you know Jesus. By the authority of the Bible, I remind you, if Jesus paid that price for you, how loved are you? If God the Father would allow his son to be crushed for you and I, because if you're anything like me, the problem is we tend to believe the lie that our performance, however good or bad, dictates how God feels about us. So in essence, if you had a good week and you didn't sin too much and you read your Bible, then in essence, God must love me. But if you didn't have a great week, there's a part of it where it's almost like we approach God as though we're not worthy. And can I just say, the Bible is clear. Jesus is a far better savior than you are sinner. Jesus loves us so much that he endured that in a radical way. And in essence, you gotta think about what caused Jesus this much pain. The Bible says this in verse 39, that going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. One of the keys to understanding this passage is that little word cup. See, in the Old Testament, if a king wanted to uh, basically do capital punishment, they would put poison in a cup and someone would have to drink it. And so in essence, that became a form of judgment or wrath. Well, the Old Testament writers, the Hebrew writers, took that idea of this cup of punishment and started to associate it with the cup of wrath. And in essence, God's wrath on sin and evil and injustice. And so in essence, what you see right here is that Jesus is not afraid of physical death. 
And this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, why he in verse 36 is great, and then in verse 37, he experiences what the Bible said is overcoming shocking horror is this. He experiences what it is like to be separated from the Father because of our sin. He experiences what it is going to be like on the cross to take upon the wrath and the judgment of God for us. And you think about this because this is so moving to me. All throughout eternity, Jesus has only ever known perfect communion and relationship with the Father. All throughout history. In fact, remember when Jesus is often ministering to people, the Bible says that he would often break away. Why? Because he spent time with his Father. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, it said this phrase. It says that the Father says, this is my Son with whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. His entire life, all he has known is the intimacy and the love of the Father. And yet in this moment, he's experiencing what it is like to be separated. And all he knows in this moment is silence. And he's pleading as he experiences this, God, if there is any other way. And notice what he says, Father, Dad. He's pleading, begging, if there is any other way, please take this cup from me. But the truth of the matter is there was not another way. You know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing that how offensive it must be to the heart of God when people say, all paths lead to God. Because what father would allow their son to be crushed like that if there was any other way? The Bible says God is a good father. And could you imagine as a father, if you have kids, what it would be like if you were son or daughters crying out and there was any other way, you would turn over heaven and hell for them to avoid any of the emotional or physical pain. God loved us so much that there was no other way for us to have this life. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And not even other religions claim that all paths are the same or lead to God. In fact, all other religions point to a God who is somewhere out there waiting to be found, but the Bible says Jesus has come to find us and his goodness and his kindness. And I remind you this morning that the best knowing the Bible is this, whether you feel it or not, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves us and he did the unthinkable. And one of the moving things to me is when you look at verse 40, you can see the kind of pain and turmoil Jesus is in because it says this, when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, he said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. And I never picked up on this, but you think about this. Why does he keep telling the disciples to stay awake? Sure, he wants them to pray. But also, I believe in that moment, he's experiencing what it is like to be cut off from the Father. And he is just so longing to connect that it's almost like he's reaching out to the disciples. You ever been in that painful place where it's just like your whole world gets turned up, upside down and sometimes what you wanna do is you just wanna connect with someone. And it's almost like Jesus is in this space where there is so much pain so much vulnerability as he experiences something he never has before that he is literally just trying to experience some sort of comfort and some sort of connection. And I tell you this, as I read this, if you're looking at it for the first time, you're going to go, how is Jesus going to face the cross? Man, he's not doing good in the garden. How is he going to go face the task? But there's an incredible quote from a man named Philip Yancey that I want to read that really shows the power of surrender in this moment, because this is what he says. He says, where was it that Jesus sweat great, great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. 
Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he is so broken up when all he is doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three sleeping friends? I love this sentence. Listen to this. Yet when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage and his three friends fell apart and fell away. This might be one of the most important things I can say, but I really believe this. Your private prayer life is what leads to a power in your public faith. The reason that we see in so many incidents falls, the reason that we're not seeing the gospel advance in ways that Jesus longs is because what he's modeling here is that our private prayer life has to be so strong that when we face the crises in life, we can withhold and stand the test and the trials. In essence, what you see is in this moment, the disciples think they're just gonna do it in their own strength. And they're the ones asleep and you go, you know what? They seem calm, they seem to have the peace of God. But yet when the problems arise, the disciples are the ones who flee. And so how do we get this kind of power? Because Jesus envisions every Christ follower to live like this. It's easy to read this and go, you know what? That's Jesus, of course he can do it. But then Jesus says really shocking things that I don't often like reading in the Bible like this. Those who follow me will do even greater things. Meaning that Jesus assumes that we will live in such a way that we will have victory in our life, that we will have the spiritual power of God so that we don't approach the Bible like it's past history or ancient history, but present reality so that we join him and bringing the kingdom of heaven to this earth. Jesus assumes his followers will be doing that. In fact, this is what he says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and real spiritual power and of a sound mind. So the question is, how do you access that kind of power and that kind of faith that Jesus has here and now in this room in Simpsonville and beyond? And what I wanna do is just give you a couple practical things that I think will help you as you start to live out surrender at a deeper level so that you can have a private life of surrender that will allow you to have the power of God in public spaces. So let me just say this, first, your power really does come from surrendering your whole life. Your power really does come from surrendering your whole life. I love this story that I heard uh, a little while ago, but it's a story of General George Cornwallis. And George Washington was, was cornering him. And in essence, uh, Cornwallis was about to surrender. And so what he did was he, he got this letter, he penned this letter, and he had on this letter, uh, basically what he put were terms of surrender. And so he said, I want this for my men. I want this for the future. I want these kind of rewards. And so he penned this letter. George Washington got this letter. He read these terms of surrender and then he tore it up. And then in essence, he wrote back this one sentence. There are no terms in surrender. And what I find if you're anything like me is sometimes I approach Jesus and I have these terms of surrender, if you will. And so in essence, I'm going to Jesus and it's not a matter of do we love Jesus, but it's just when we approach him, sometimes we go, God, I love you and I trust you, but I really want to hold on to my finances. God, I love you and I trust you, but I just, I need this thing to happen with my kid so I can't give you my kid this way. God, I love you and I trust you, but I'm not certain if I can surrender the future and my job to you, so I'm going to hold on to that. 
God, I love you and I trust you, but I don't know about the health thing, so I'm gonna have to go a different way. And so in essence, what you find is we have partial surrender. We have terms that we bring to God. The matter is not do we love God. The question is, are we fully surrendered to him in every area of our life? And so in essence, what God has been convicting me of is it's one thing for me to stand on a stage. It's one thing for me to talk about the great love of God. It's another thing for me to be completely surrendered to that love. And if you and I, every time in my life, I realize there is too much angst, too much worry, too much doubt, I can always find it's some area that I have not surrendered to God. It is partial surrender. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand is there are no terms in surrender. Jesus never says to his disciples, in fact, that's why Jesus was not a popular preacher. Because he would never walk in rooms like this and say, here's the deal. I've just come to give you life, but you do whatever you want to. If it's not convenient for you, then you do whatever you want. You want to hold on to that. Jesus says, come and die. But here's the reality. Jesus never calls you to leave something behind unless he calls you to something better. That better thing is his presence. The better thing is never the blessings of God. It is always his presence. And so I want to show you just a picture that I think has been on my heart about this idea of postures of surrender. One way of surrender is this. It is the idea that I surrender a portion of my life to God, but I'm still at the center. I'm still controlling. I'm still the Lord of my life, if you will. And so in essence, God gets a portion, a part of my life. And frankly, that portion he gets might actually be the largest in my life. And so in essence, I can say God is a big part of my life. But then Jesus actually gives another model, which this is the idea of full surrender, where God is the center of my life and I no longer live, but he lives inside of me. And so in essence, God controls what I do with my money. God controls how I operate with my job. God controls how I act when I don't get what I want. My whole life is his. Here's the problem with the first way. It sounds great in that moment to be in control. Listen, I want to be in control more than anything. In fact, the Holy Spirit was convicting me last week. Hey, you're trying to control this area of your life. And every time I try to control something, you know what happens? It creates chaos. And so what happens is when you try to control, what happens when things don't go according to plan? So if you're the center of your life and the stock market crashes, what do you do then? If you're the center of your life and you're trying to control everything and you have a child who walks away from the faith, what do you do then? If you're trying to control everything and then you have terrible health news, what do you do then? The reality is if you are at the center of your life, what, what that creates is crippling levels of fear and anxiety and worry because your shoulders are not big enough to carry that. But what happens is when we get to this place where we don't try to press through in our own strength, but we get surrendered and go, God, I surrender it all. There are no terms in surrender. What you find is not weakness. You find power. You find peace. You find the life of God overflowing in the Holy Spirit in ways you never dreamed possible. Can, can I just say this? I believe that in essence, that all of us in this room, God wants to take you deeper than you've ever been before. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Even if you could say right now, I am in the deepest place, the best place spiritually, or if you go, you know what, there's just a season where somewhere my heart got dry and disconnected. Can I just speak this word of hope into you? I believe God is not done and he is wanting to pour out his spirit and, and power in new and fresh ways. I'll just say this, I know I'm a guest preacher, but all I hear about is how bad the world is and how the church is falling apart. Can I just say that is prime conditions for the gospel to break forth in new and fresh ways. And what he's looking for is people who go, you know what, count me in, I'm in. I'm not gonna give you partial surrender, I'm all in. 
And so this is what Jesus' invitation is. Power comes from surrendering your whole life. And then here's the next one. Power comes from surrendering your will. Power comes from surrendering your will. You know what is humbling to me? That all throughout the Bible, Jesus is asked different things. Like everywhere he goes, people are asking. When you read the New Testament, will you heal my child? Will you heal my, my mom? Will you heal this thing? Will you give us food? Will you cast out this demon? Jesus never once rejects someone when they ask. Jesus loves when people ask. In fact, oftentimes what I think we can almost demonize more is unanswered prayer, but I think the greatest travesty is not unanswered prayer, it is unasked prayer. James says you don't have, why? Because you don't ask. Matthew 7 says this, knock, seek, ask. God wants people who plead in prayer. I really believe this, that, that a great writer once said that only God can move mountains, but, but prayer moves God. And so he is wanting people who ask with a boldness and a tenacity. But here's the invitation that we also have to get to is as we ask, we get to this place like Jesus three times where we go, this is what I want. I'm asking for this Jesus, but not what I want, what you will. Because what happens in that moment is that when you get to that place of surrender, there becomes a greater power. In fact, what is so sobering to me, this is the only time in all the Bible Jesus asked for something. Remember what he says? God, take this cup if you will. It's the only time he asks something and what does he get? Silence. He is modeling a way where he is not wounded or rejected, but he's actually modeling peace and power as he prays for the Father. What he's asking, he follows up with this prayer but not what I want, what you will, and what do you find he gets in that moment? Real peace, real power. He is being crucified and he's not upset. He is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting is men and women who are so sold out, they can face adversity, criticism, and they can forgive people in radical ways. That only happens when people go, not what I want, but what, what you will. And then the final thing that I think happens is this. Power comes from surrendering your strength. Real spiritual power comes from surrendering your will. It comes from surrendering your whole life. But it really does come from surrendering your strength. And this is a problem because in American culture, especially if you're a guy, you're always told be stronger, be bigger, be faster. And yet the way of the kingdom is the way of humility and surrender. And in essence, this is why this is so important. You will find some situation in your life that will crush you in your own strength at some point in time. And I realize that's fairly depressing, so, so I'm sorry about that. And if you're in a good season, then I tell you, enjoy that. But the problem is right after mountaintops, if you've been around for a while, you know what comes after that is valleys. And so in essence, you will find some circumstance, maybe you're facing that now, you will find some circumstance in your life that will crush you if you do not find divine strength. Because frankly, what you need is you need the spirit of God to stretch you and strengthen you. My heart and your heart are not strong enough on our own, but when you find this level of surrendering your strength, what you find is the Holy Spirit breathes in you life and boldness that are not yours. And you get a power that you never imagined. I'll never forget a couple years ago, I had this moment that people talk about anxiety and I just confess to you, for years, I thought, oh, that's because they're not praying enough. And then I had this moment a couple years ago where I got a crippling, just 
experience with anxiety. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. I had insomnia. I was up, I could not sleep for weeks. Um, I was in this place where I lost about 30 pounds. Um, I just, I couldn't even function. I was so overwhelmed and nothing worked. In fact, what's, the reason I tell you this story is I was so determined, I was so type A that I started trying to figure out everything I could on my own to get out of this. I went to my friend Google and I started going, how do you get out of anxiety? I found diets, I found sleeping tricks and routines, none of them worked. Fast forward, it was about two weeks, my strength gave out. I remember writing in my journal, God, I'm done, I can no longer do this. And the reason I tell you that, it was like in that moment, I remember where I was, where I truly submitted to God and I just said, I cannot do this in my own strength and I just knelt and I prayed and I surrendered everything I had. And I tell you, I remember that moment vividly. It was like, although the anxiety did not go away in that moment, I felt a power and a hope and a confidence I'd never felt before. Amen. Fast forward, um, I'm, I'm finally at some point, by God's grace, I came out of this anxiety. I'm meeting with a guy from our church. He's just a great prayer warrior. And uh, he looks at me and he says, how are you doing? And I told him I had this run of anxiety. He said, when did this happen? So he pulls out his prayer journal and he said, you know what, it's interesting. He said, around that time, I began to pray that God would break you so that you could operate not in your strength, but in his. And I said, thank you for that, but please never pray for me again. <laughs> See, the truth is, if you're in a dark spot, can I just say this? For me, I found out that God cannot be all I want until he's all I have. If our hands are so filled with the resources and the stuff of this earth, then God cannot be all that I have because he's not all that I want. And I realized for most of my life, I'm not proud to say it, but as a pastor, I operated with partial surrender because the churches I was a part of or the resources or my kids or this and that, you name it. It was just like, God, I'll give you this, but here's my terms of surrender. I'll give you Sundays, I'll give you mornings, I'll give you this, but God, you cannot have this. And what I have found in this season is a new level of power and faith, not because of anything I have to offer, but because as you surrender yourself, it is the way that real spiritual power enters the equation. And it is the way that you bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth because it is not about you. So I ask you this question, what are you trying to do in your own strength this morning? I'm not asking you, do you love God? I'm asking you right now, what in your life are you holding on to that instead of creating peace and life and joy, it is creating a level of angst and worry because you know what, that kid, I'm trying to control their future and it's just too broad, it's just too difficult, it's just too uncertain. And I felt led as I was praying just the other night that there was someone in this room that, that it's almost like you have a prodigal child and you are trying to control their future and they are walking away from God and it is breaking your heart. And I just wanna encourage you with this. I believe God loves your child even more than you do. Give them back. Surrender them. And what you will find in the midst of that is not a weakness and a fear. What you will find is a power that starts to rise up in your spirit. I believe the church needs to be filled with men and women who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Strength is not acting like we have it all together. Strength is not pushing through. Strength is not pretending. Strength is not more ambition and drive. It is admitting that we are weak, but he is strong. It is admitting that we find our power not in our abilities, not in our intellect, but it is with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
And so I ask you again this question, what in your life do you need to surrender? What are you trying to do in your own strength? Maybe you're again worried about your kids. Surrender them. Stop trying to fight it in your own strength. Maybe there's health issues that you are facing and you're carrying the weight of that health diagnostic and you're just taking that and can I just say, he's a good father, surrender that. And in the midst of the fear and uncertainty, find a peace and a life and a joy that you never found possible because when you surrender, what you find is the outer circumstances of your life can be in absolute turmoil, but you have peace and you have power. Maybe you're in a dry spot and what you really want more than anything is a passion for God. And this sounds odd, but stop trying. Stop trying in your own strength to create a willpower and a love for Jesus. Stop telling yourself, I'm gonna do all this. Just drop to your knees and say, God, would you take my heart and ignite it in ways it never has been before? He is faithful. By the authority of the Bible, I just remind you, wherever you are with Jesus, he wants to take you deeper, he's not done. The way you get there though is not strength and it is not willpower, it is a way of surrender. Jesus, I want a passion for you that will never burn out. So give him that. Maybe there's some tension in your relationship and you are trying in your own strength to patch this marriage or to patch this friendship and it sounds odd but stop trying to fix it, surrender it to God. Give it to God in such a way that you just have a peace and now you have a spiritual antenna tuned into heaven in such a way that you can hear from him on how you should operate in this season. Be people of surrender. Or maybe there's an addiction. And I just want to speak this over some people in this room because this was my story. You know, for years, I believed that God could do anything but heal certain things in my life. And so in essence, you are not destined to take some addiction and just walk through it for the next 10 or 15 years. There is freedom, there is power, there is healing in the name of Jesus. And it happens even today. Why is it that you and I will believe that the gospel can change anyone, but sometimes we don't believe it for ourselves? If I ask you right now, if you are struggling with something, do you believe the gospel can transform anyone? You'd go, absolutely. But why is it that when it comes to your life sometimes or my life, we believe we are destined to walk with that thing? It's because if we're not careful, we will be like situational atheists. I believe God holds the whole world in his hands, but he doesn't hold this problem. Surrender it. Stop trying to defeat this area on your own. But can I just encourage you right now? I believe that God is in the business of setting people free, inviting people to different levels of surrender. And it's not some spiritual DMV process. You don't have to go in long lines and fill it out. You have to go straight into his presence. And with the desire in your heart, he will listen. So what I wanna do as we close out is this. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity just in this moment to surrender whatever it is that God has placed on your heart. If like me, there are portions of your life that you know you're holding on to, if there's something that you're wanting and you have terms of surrender, if there's some area that you are trying to operate in your own strength, cast it back, give it back to God. Why don't you just take a moment where you are, if you will. In fact, if you would, just as a sign of openness, would you open your hands like this? This is just your way of saying, hey God, I'm gonna be open to being surrendered if you're comfortable with that. But this is your way of just saying, Holy Spirit, this is just my posture of surrender right now. And in this moment, give God whatever it is that he has placed on your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, ask him to reveal himself to you today.
God, we thank you for the time to open up your word. We thank you for a picture of power through surrender. But as you see our hands open, God, it's just our desire to say as best as we can, we understand there are no terms in surrender. And we are giving back the things that we have tried to control, the things that we are holding on to. And God, as we give those things back, we are asking for you to be faithful to your word and replace the fear or the worry or the uncertainty with power and peace and joy in the name of Jesus. We give that back and we receive that and the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I just pray that you would make us men and women as we surrender in this moment and throughout the week that you would make us men and women who are powerful in our private life, our private prayer life, so that we can be bold in our public faith. And that only comes from surrender. So we thank you for modeling that and we thank you for the great gift of your son, Jesus. It's in your mighty, wonderful name. We all say amen. One way to experience spiritual renewal is to meditate on God's Word. In Joshua chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 1, meditation means to read slowly, gaze intently, giving undivided attention to a passage of Scripture. This week, meditate on Psalm 32. Stop and reflect on the words or phrases that light up as you read them. Spend time talking with God about what He's revealing to you. The series Spiritual Warfare will continue next week in our next episode. To prepare, read Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 through 11. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you hear. Leave a review so that others can experience how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.